Welcome, welcome. We are Filmmaker's Cookbook, a podcast where we turn your favorite films into recipes, helping you expand your cinematic diets. The show is hosted by myself, Michelangelo, and me, Charles Albrecht. On this week's episode, we were going to look in a mirror and reflect on our own favorite. So this episode is going to be focusing on Chase's favorite or film that's one of my favorites. One of his favorites. And the next episode, likewise, will be my favorite or one of my favorites. It's kind of hard to choose a favorite film, I feel like. Without further ado. I'm in the hot seat today. Yeah. Yeah, you are. So tell me, Chase, what film did you bring today? I brought Children of Men. Mystery. Why are women infertile? Why can't we make babies anymore? I need your help. Not for me, a girl. She's pregnant. Now you know it's at stake. need to get her to the coast past security checkpoints. So why did you come to me? I trust you. They want your baby. We have to leave. We're almost there, kid. We're almost there. Children of Man. Can I tell you something, actually? Sure. I've never watched this film. I think a lot of people missed it, but it's great. Well, it came out in 2006. Yeah. 2006 was a year of, like, Pirates of the Caribbean. Uh, there was X-Men, the worst one, The Last Stand. Okay. Uh, there was, like, The Prestige that came out that year, which I've seen that one. I saw Pirates of the Caribbean... Uh, there was like the lady of in the water which God. was like uh, an M. Night Shyamalan, M. Night Shyamalan classic 300 and like Ooh, a lot of other movies came out that year interesting yeah so I will say that I've watched a lot of those films but uh, keep in mind uh, I'm a little we're like the same age I think I think we're almost exactly the same age different months which I'm did you watch this movie when it first came out no, I saw it a while later. I think it. I think um, this movie was more of a international release kind of thing. I, I don't think it was as big here in the U.S., but um, especially in a post nine eleven world, uh-huh. it, it's it's not a movie that particularly cares about that. Okay, so yeah, definitely <laughs> that's a big part of it. But that's <laughs> so I watched the movie for the first time and for for research for your for this episode Mm -hmm. and can i give you a summary of the film please do and let me know how close i am i wrote this summary myself i didn't look on imdb or something i think you've watched it more recently than i have (laughs) all right in a dystopian future humanity can no longer produce offspring resulting in the downfall of society one day uh, a man named theo is asked to help escort key a lady who is, who miraculously got pregnant and is currently about to give birth. Um, it is now up to Theo to get her to safety in a world fill, filled with hate and chaos. Yeah. What do you think? I came up with that myself after watching the film I wrote that Love down. It. Okay. I think it, it feels maybe just like a little misleading, maybe a little bit, because... That's kind of the A plot line. Like, like that's, the, that's the high concept layer of this film yeah because then there's a lot of deeper things going on Mm -hmm. that i feel like the summary kind of completely overlooks but i think the whole point of this movie was pretty much that there's a whole problematic point to it where 
because she's a refugee, they don't really want her to have a baby. There's a lot of xenophobia in this movie. Yeah, so, which also kind of maybe makes sense of Britain as well a little bit. So the goal for this podcast is we're going to talk about this film, but uh, if you're not familiar with this podcast, Chase, um, we're going to be turning this film into a dish. Oh my. Yeah. That's <laughs> what a surprise. That's how this works. As we talk about it, we're going to also be feeling out the flavors of this film, which we are going to make into a dish. Does that sound fun, Chase? So fun. All right, Love let's it. begin. So I can talk about how like Afonso Caron directed and wrote the film with help of Timothy Sexton and a few others. I also, this movie was based on a book. Fancy this. The book is named The Children of Men. Oh, that makes sense. So they just added the D to the end of the movie title, or to the end of the book, or the beginning of the book title. Cool. I haven't read the book, didn't have time for that. Me neither. Like I said, I could talk about how it stars Clive Owens, Julianne Moore, Michael Caine, uh, I can't pronounce his name, but Chidwell Ejiofor. Chidwell Ejiofor, I think. Gotcha. Yeah, who is, I think, funny enough, ends up playing a very similar character in uh, Doctor Strange. Kind of. It's almost the, I feel like, exact same character. Yeah. Uh, anyways, I don't want to nitpick your film. I guess he has film. a character type. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and Michael Caine is also typecasted in this one as the most Britishy British person. <laughs> Even though he's not. He's kind of like a, hips, like he a, is a hippie in this. He is, which is kind of fun to see him actually as a hippie. But I think it's one of his more transformative roles. <laughs> True. And I also didn't really know too much about the director Alfonso Cuaron. 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 I don't know. Cuaron. Alfonso Cuaron. Spanish. Which, uh, it was interesting looking at his past writings and directing uh, projects. Mm-hmm. The last, the few projects he did before. I feel like I've watched a lot of his movies. I think he's one of the greatest directors currently I, working. I didn't even realize that all these films were him and that I enjoyed pretty much every single film I've watched of his, I've enjoyed it. So I was kind of like, oh, he did all of these other films? Like, the best Harry Potter film, in my opinion. The, the one that established the correct tone. Like, Prisoner of Azkaban, which, is, which was him. Which I thought was, like, is still to this day my favorite Harry Potter film. Yep. Kudos to him. And he writes and directs a lot of his projects, I noticed, too. Question for you now. Do you think that it is better that a writer directs or a director writes the project they're working on i don't know if it's necessarily a better or a worse thing like i like i i think if you are trying to have a film that is 100 percent from your perspective then i think you should start out in the scripting phase and mm-hmm. like go through the entire process and then you i think come out with movies that are like like in auteur theory um Movies that are, are very representative of who you are as as a director specifically, which I think like you can tell a movie that is like an Alfonso Cuarón movie because of the particular things he focuses on, the way characters interact, the the types of scenes that are present, mm-hmm. um, and the the themes that are present across all of his different work. But there are plenty of directors who are amazing that don't write their own scripts like Spielberg who is absolutely not to her in my opinion 
doesn't write the majority of his movies. Mm-hmm. I think he partially writes them, but he doesn't. He's not the main screenwriter. Uh, Martin Scorsese doesn't write his movies most of the time. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't think it's necessary. I don't think it's better or worse. I think it's gotcha. Whatever, yeah. whatever, <laughs> whatever you need to do. Definitely. I think for him, it's working, and yeah. I think he should continue doing doing what works. Right. He, I I think. For the type of work he does, which is all, uh, in my opinion, he's like the activist filmmaker a little bit. Mm-hmm. A lot of his films, I think, have a sort of they're they're very they're very specific in what they're trying to say, and they have a very political bent. They do. Yeah, and, I noticed that. Yeah, and I think if you are going to be a person who makes that kind of films you kind of have to be the one to write those because no one else is going to write such a specific idea for you. That's true. Because it's not going to make it through the studio system. Mm-hmm. Now, that's an interesting point, and I kind of something that I wanted to, to go into a little deeper. You should talk about themes for this movie. So I gave a summary of the film already, but I, I guess I kind of missed out on a lot of the major themes and his messages. Because there's a lot of like religious themes in this film, political themes and artistic artistic stuff and mm-hmm. like that kind of almost uh, negative not negative but bleak outlook on society and the future i would say but it ends in such a wonderfully hopeful note but like a somber hopeful note but like hopeful yeah i i, I feel like you after watching this my sense of you is that you you really like uh, uh dark films i like dark films i i think I think for me, what attracts me most to this movie is actually the world building and the specificity of the detail within every frame. Because mm-hmm. I'm just kind of in awe of it. It did a good job at building the world to the extent that it did within the two-hour limit of a film, which I mm-hmm. thought was actually, I really enjoyed um, really quickly. I just want to throw it out there. Since this is my first time watching it, and we do another podcast called Concession Impressions, I would give this a Peanut M&M's ranking for Concession Impressions. I did really enjoy this film. It's one of the best films ever made, personally. <laughs> well, okay. So we... Do you want to... I have two things. that Now Now bringing up that point, we're going to have a like a fork in the road where we can continue talking about themes or talking about the importance of this film. Okay. Which one do you want to go down first? Either way. All right, let's wrap up themes really quickly, and then we'll go into the importance sure. of this film. I mean, there's so many themes, though. Like, it is such a dense I'm text. Cu- I'm curious what themes called out to you the most. See, I've had the benefit of, I've seen this movie probably close to 20 times. And so, I like, it's definitely a movie that unfolds, I think, as you watch it more and more. Which is another reason why I love it, because I'm a person who, if I feel like I understand every aspect of the movie on first watch... I get kind of annoyed because then I get bored if I ever watch it again, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and this film definitely doesn't do that. There are themes of, like, political themes about poverty, about socialism, about uh, xenophobia, about uh, conservative politics and, and isolationism. Mm-hmm. Uh, there, are, there are themes about art, where it should be in society. Should it be in these, like, ivory towers locked away uh, from the general masses, or is it should should it be in the real world? It, where does art come from? It comes from the people that you see. All these like little moments where like 
um, real people in the background are like mimicking famous artworks. Or that rich guy who literally or rich, yeah, steals yeah. or captures the uh, statue of David by Michelangelo. Mm-hmm. Well, that guy has that statue of David. He has Guernica, which is Picasso's most famous painting in the background, the one that's like all the jumbled masses. Uh-huh. Uh, it's like it's about the war mm-hmm. uh, of uh, Spanish independence, and it's like all the horrors of war wrapped up into one painting. But really quickly, but do you notice in the background there is a a balloon pig outside yes which i thought was a very funny kind of do you know what it's a reference to i don't i thought it was just that like these rich kind of high class are pigs pretty much is sort of what i took it as so it's a reference to a album cover uh from pink floyd which itself was a reference to the book animal farm oh and the pigs in there are the the wealthy fat elite gotcha okay interesting now that my question also was that I feel like he takes a very clear stance politically on yes. this movie. I was almost unsure of his religious beliefs through this film because I felt like it took a little bit of both sides because mm-hmm. the film felt very like messiah-y with this baby who was born who you never even talk about the father or anything. It's like this lady who is giving birth to kind of like... She's a, like almost like a Virgin mary Yeah. Yeah. And at the same time, though, they kind of are making... Or like, he's hitting on religion where he's like saying like, oh, this belief doesn't matter or this kind of... Like, even Michael Caine at one point says that like, even though they believed so much, their kids still died. Like, mm-hmm. doesn't really... Religion doesn't really matter. It's... It's more of the just being logistic kind of point of it. Well, and his character is also kind of like a weird roundabout way of talking about um, Buddhist religion and Hinduism and all those aspects. I think he even quotes different different uh, references to, to Buddhism uh, or Hinduism. I'm not, I'm not quite sure which. And it's, it's kind of all of these different people who have these competing life philosophies in this, uh, this <clears throat> very dark world. Yeah, in the, in a world that has seemingly no future, mm-hmm. and then, like that's that's kind of where religion thrives, <laughs> I think, for better or worse. Uh, religion provides answers, even if there aren't any, and it provides uh, hope, hope more so than anything else. And I think that's kind of where the movie ends. But I think it's the most frustrating part of the movie is the ending. Uh, I know that's where the people I have watched it this movie with typically are like annoyed by the film is <laughs> it ends in such a non-committal way. Like we really don't know if the woman finds safety. She just floats off and our, the character we most identified with dies yeah. on, like in the bleakest way in the middle of a prison fight. And, and you don't even know, yeah, uh, to that point, you don't even know if, because there's a boat coming that finds her but you don't even know if it's a part of the military or part of uh, the refugees or a part of the secret organization that they're trying to find throughout the film. Mm, you just have to have faith. Yeah, pretty much. I, I actually like that. I love it. <laughs> but people find it frustrating. But you, I think it is a happy ending because you also kind of hear like a baby kind of growing up in the credits. I don't know. Yeah. 
right? Mm-hmm. I think you do. It's been a while for me since okay. I've watched this. I don't know. Yes, I think you do. I, you hear like a baby or like laughing children or some of that. So I, I kind of assumed that it's kind of hinting that she did make it to safety and this kid is growing up. I don't know also if it means that society is healed, if they like, they figure out some way or if he's just, or she's rather, because it's a, a girl, um, baby, baby girl, that it kind of is just the new child that it gets born that's only it's like the only one or if they're actually able to i guess like that future of society aspect is still kind of bleak but at least her character being safe i felt like i think we just don't know yeah which i did like still it was nice i i have this theory about targeted ambiguity in the best stories they they end with like a or or they present questions without answers but they're specific questions so that you're left to just like ponder them mm-hmm. on your own, like and, Inception, like Inception, sure. <laughs> um, but but this movie is definitely forcing you to think about not only what is happening in in today's world, is it just, is it right? Uh, what role do you play in in keeping it that way or helping it? Uh, uh, move on to a better place mm-hmm. and then also it forces you to to kind of confront the reality that all the work you will do you won't really see the benefit of mm-hmm. which I think is super fascinating and is it still worth it or not mm-hmm. <laughs> and I think this movie wants you to believe yeah it, it's still worth it even if it it's like you only get kind of these like little glimmers of hope uh huh I don't know. That's that was the one thing also that I kind of, I felt very early two thousand y. The some of the mm-hmm. parts of this movie that I don't know if I just I don't know if they really needed to kill pretty much all the characters or it felt like they would give you some hope and then they would dash it away and then give you some hope. It, it almost felt like too much of a downer to me at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, but well, I, I think it's more of a, I think it depends on how you read the text. Like if you read it as. Like as just this is a um, a kind of thriller about protecting this one woman and getting her to to safety, um, then yeah, it's pretty. It's a huge downer, totally. <laughs> if you read it as like almost an allegory where all these characters are like representatives of of different philosophical ways of living, mm-hmm. um, where Theo is the one who kind of gave up and is just kind of living day by day. That's true. And then by the end, he kind of has hope again until right. his last moments of life. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. He gets hope. And well, through by gaining hope, he's able to make the journey and complete yeah. his part of the journey, at least. Exactly. Whereas you have all these other people who like that. Julianne Moore, char- Julian Moore's character is kind of like this dogmatic personality who's very much like a, the activist type who has kind of lost perspective a little bit. And then you have the old activist in Michael Caine's character who is kind of irrelevant but doesn't quite realize it yet, but still has a little bit left to give. There's, there's a couple others. Like there's the, the lady with the dreads who is like a midwife. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then Chiwetel uh, Ejiofor's character is interesting. Mm-hmm. You have... Is it Theo's brother that is the guy that has the, all the money and has all the art? How are they related? I can't remember. Uh, I thought they were like cousins or something like that. Yeah. I exactly. I don't remember exactly what the uh, relation to it was. Mm-hmm. Um, and Theo himself is like a diplomat. Like that's his actual job. Is is he just like kind of bureaucratically 
goes through the motions. Yeah, I, that which I thought was a good setup to the film too, because yeah. I think you know him working and kind of seeing the world and everything. Good decision on their filmmaking point, but also it kind of sets up how he did feel like a copy and paste of probably a lot of those other people in that building or some of that. Like mm-hmm. they are all kind of like a hive mind of just doing, getting up and doing the same thing every single day and kind of living what life they have left. Uh, because I think at one point even someone says, you know, humanity will cease to exist in the next hundred years. But I, I also want to say that I think, especially since we've been watching a lot of movies together and reviewing them on Concession Impressions, plug for that. Um, I've been, like, for instance, we've watched films recently like um, Don't Worry Darling that I felt like comically had these weird long shots that were probably hoping to build suspense or some kind of meaning but just felt empty and just awkward i think this movie did really well in how the long takes yes it was really good and actually going back really quickly i mentioned before that i've never watched this film but i have seen this film or rather i've seen parts of this film because i think it has been taught a lot and I think people teach or talk about this film a lot now about like how important it is within the film history aspect mm-hmm. of things. Well, there's like three shots that I think get mentioned a lot. The car um, scene. The car scene, which is all one unbroken. It's actually, I think, several shots that were digitally stitched together. Yeah. But um, it feels unbroken, mm-hmm. uh, and it's it's done so well, and that has this like amazing thrill to it, despite these characters like literally playing the weirdest game of like spitball with each other. <laughs> yeah, it's a, but it's like calm before the storm. Like mm-hmm. they didn't really like, wouldn't expect what's gonna happen next, right? Like, I feel like it's it very it yeah. felt very natural. But it's so engaging, right? Like like that's that's one of the things I love about long takes, and I think there's only a few directors that really do this anymore like Spielberg is famous for his Spielberg oneers which are, are just long takes as well um, and uh, but most modern directors like uh, I think somebody did uh, research once and they, they showed that like most films today cut every three seconds or something yeah I I really hate a lot of cuts in a film like because I feel like it breaks you out a lot of the time of, of yeah it just it doesn't add anything it like like unless you're doing it intentionally, which if you're cutting every three seconds for the entire film, you're not doing it intentionally. That's just how you're getting coverage. Uh-huh. Um, it feels easy and cheap a little bit. Mm-hmm. Whereas like, like I think you can have a movie like this is sort of a bad example, but like the Jason Bourne movies, uh-huh. um, where they do a lot of quick cutting as well. But they're doing that intentionally to like add energy to chaotic scenes, right? The they don't cut like that in every scene. They have scenes where they no, maybe don't cut for like 25, 30 seconds, which is a really long time in modern time, modern day editing. And you should, you're an editor, so you know probably more than anybody how many cuts go into even short films, you know? Like, yeah, it, it's insane. Uh, whereas this movie is able to give you so much emotion, so much change, so much character development in one camera angle just by having the scene act out and things develop over the course of the scene 
And that's not like, I think my favorite of all the, the four shots, which we didn't cover the other three. So there's the card shot, there's yeah. the opening shot where uh, the coffee the, yeah, shot yeah. blows up. Yeah. There's the. Um, I'm only thinking of one more. I'm trying soldier to think. shot, or the, the shot where they're, they're going to the abandoned building uh, and they're walking out with the baby. Yeah, yeah. Might just be three. I might be misremembering. But even, even his shorter shots still are very long. Yeah, no. In general, I think a lot of the shots kind of linger. But I think it lingers for a purpose, which I right. thought was really good. There's information good. constantly being um, introduced, and I think that's how you have to do it to make the shots interesting. You can't just... And this was the problem with Don't Worry, Darling. It's in, in the one shot where we just hear a character walking for about 30 seconds, and we don't see her, and we see the same shot of the same characters just looking kind of like vaguely scared, yeah, you're just Intense. getting the same information for a longer... For a long time. Yeah, well, in this movie, the <laughs> shot lingers, but it'll show you more, or it'll continue a scene, or even, like, I would notice that, like, I bet watching this movie, I've only watched it once, like I said, but watching it and seeing those long takes, you'll probably find so much more information, mm-hmm. um, which makes sense, because it was nominated for Best Editing. Uh, it also was nominated for best cinematography i believe and best uh screenplay didn't win any of them i think i i I think alfonso caron um kind of like like so alfonso caron is is part of this like group of mexican film uh directors who came out of this one particular mexican film school and it includes guillermo del toro another favorite of mine and uh alejandro gonzalez yes that guy and so they're like buddies Actually, originally the Harry Potter film that Alfonso Cuarón directed was originally offered to Guillermo del Toro, and Guillermo del Toro was like, "Nope, I don't want to do this, but you should use this guy for sure." <laughs> Interesting. That's kind of funny. I like those three directors are such great examples of the Mexican filmmaking tradition. Oh my god. Yeah, they're both. They're. I mean, not both. All three of them are, are great. All three are probably some of my favorite filmmakers. Inarritu a little bit less so, but Guillermo del Toro and Alfonso Cuarón absolutely top my list of filmmakers for sure. Now, how do you feel about this film not really doing well? It, like, didn't win any awards. And also, did you know that it didn't really do well in the box office? I, I mean, I knew that, but I don't really, I don't really care. <laughs> I, uh, the, like, like, in a world where Morbius did well <laughs> in the box office, I don't, did it? Uh, I don't care anymore. Uh, okay. I think it did, unfortunately. Oh, man. I'm sad. Uh, I mean, Don't Worry Darling is probably going to make its money back. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't know. Like that, We went to that theater, and it was surprisingly packed. It was. It was I, hard to get tickets, actually, where I got the last two almost. So. Mm-hmm. I, I, I don't really think the box office is a good uh, indicator of, of how good a movie is. I think Fair it's enough. an indicator of how good the marketing for a movie is. Well, true. That part was just like, a, oh, that's kind of sad that this film didn't do well. Uh, more sad for I guess the director and the, the people behind it because I feel like they did a really good job but they I guess weren't rewarded with a, a huge box office re- success however in the long run he's one of the biggest directors out there now cur- yeah true true I think I was more sad that it didn't really win as many w- rewards as I thought it was going to win because yeah. when watching it I was like oh, this movie must have won Best Editing or Best Cinematography or Best Director or Best Film or something. I was like, this movie probably did really well in the, like, 
awards department. Yeah. And I was surprised that it didn't, it was nominated a lot, but it didn't really win any big rewards. Actually, a tough year, game. though, maybe. Because, like, you have other movies yeah. like 300. X-Men. And, well, not X-Men, but, like, 300 uh, probably won cinematography, maybe, because it had such experimental cinematography. That, was that really is true. It did really a really a lot impressive. of cool stuff with that, yeah. Pirates of the Caribbean had actually really good visual effects, too, actually. Yes, like, it did. Davy Jones VFX, even to this day. That's, like, almost, that's, like, what, 16 years ago? Yeah. Eight, 17 years ago? Those VFX for that movie still hold up. Anyways, going back to the movie we're talking about. So I, I do kind of understand, but still, like, it should have won, I think, something. I think it was, it deserved some kind of award. In I, my, I in think my it should have at least, did it even get nominated, nominated for Best Director? I don't think it did. God, no. that's terrible. It's so well directed, I think. I think it's a, it's a, it's a movie that probably challenges people more than your average film does, because it does kind of end on this like very not Hollywood ending, yeah. um, and it uh, uh, and it is it is more of a, a thinker, mm-hmm. I think. <laughs> yeah. Can I tell you really quickly? Um, I want to like because we haven't talked about food yet at all. Oh God, yeah. And I want to get into that, but I want to say one thing just to like punch down your film a little bit. Good, punch it down. Uh, is the one thing I didn't like with the film actually was the color correcting of the film. Interesting. I, it felt, if again, I felt like early two thousands. Like I agree with you. That, that green yeah. palette. I, I see what you're saying there for sure. I I'm personally colorblind, so colors never play as big an impact on me. That's right. I totally. How does how does yeah? Okay, that's a whole other topic. I know I it's a whole area of filmmaking that I just like. I'm a little uh, unable to access, unfortunately. I think there are times where the color grading actually makes it harder to read the image in a way that is unhelpful. Uh-huh. And then I think I agree with you, it does feel very locked into a certain time period of color grading. Yeah. Um, but I, he, he kind of carries that through, I think, in most of his films. Yeah, I think he kind of just likes a certain Instagram filter and he just kind of sticks to that filter yeah. pretty much for his movies. Um, the high contrast filter. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right, so can I hand you this? This is a chef's hat. Can you put it on? All right. Add, insert some like hat putting on noises. Shink. Rustling. <laughs> we talked about this movie, I feel like, a lot already. And. <laughs> I could talk for hours. I, I feel like we could, but we <laughs> we, we uh, only have a certain amount of time for this uh, episode. Sure. So I want to get into this um, food dish now. Now, to be honest with you, and I think it, I even told you this before we recorded, was I had no idea what dish this movie was. But I think as we were talking, I helped clarify what kind of flavors this film was and i think from that i have a few ideas but let's talk about it okay to the kitchen <laughs> yeah that's like a batman thing it's not related to this film at all oh, yeah. but yeah love it all right so now that we're in the kitchen chef's hats are on Aprons knives sharpened tied cutting boards ready to cut knives sharpened yeah i already said that one Okay. Never mind. (laughs) Just ignore that. It's okay. (laughs) All right. So let's talk. 
really quickly because we've only done a few of these and I'm sure that you and I and everyone else listening is not super familiar with our food flavor dictionary, as we would call it. Yes. So we broke it down into six flavors that match six feelings. Mm-hmm. I want to add a seventh, but let's get through these. Ooh. Adding to the to the list. All right, yes. we'll we'll save that for another one. Dear listeners, look forward to possibly a seventh flavor. I think okay. we can add it for your movie because, yeah, for for the next episode. Ooh. Listen, listen then. <laughs> nice. Anger is umami. Disgust is sour. Fear as bitter. Sad as salty. Happy as sweet. And surprise as spicy. Mmm, spicy. One-to-one relationship between emotions and taste flavors. Now I want to go through this really quickly. Your movie is, I would say, a mixture of sad, disgust, anger, and a sprinkle of happy. Maybe a little bit of surprise. Maybe a little bit of everything almost in this film. I but like I think it definitely has a lot of disgust in this film. In terms of themes, mood, actual imagery, there's a lot of disgusting things. In terms of disgust as like how they treat people, you know, even in the opening scene, it kind of has like that uh, Saving Private Ryan shot where the person exits the coffee shop and they're holding their arm. Mm-hmm. Like there's like a lot of like emotionally like disgustful moments in this film it's like a backdrop of disgust yes. yeah but of dis- i would say like a backdrop of disgust and fear yes yes like a sour bitter taste mm-hmm. it's kind of the base note and then but there is i i i, I don't know if actually I, I would say almost arguably surprise is maybe the least dominant flavor in this movie yeah it only happens at a few specific times it's not mm-hmm. like it's happening all the time but it's like there i would there's you know moments where i feel like there are great surprises but yeah i feel like the betrayal part of it in the beginning and the ending are maybe the biggest two surprises mm-hmm. but i think it more those surprises almost are more disgustful than surprise to me interesting okay uh now, I don't really see that much happy in this film. I don't think it's an it's a very sweet film, no. I feel like there's like a melancholy about this film. Mm-hmm. More like sad, fear, disgust, and anger. This film was made almost 20 years ago, but I think a lot of its ideas are still very present in today's society. If not even worse than it was back then. <laughs> exactly. And I think that anger is more of like, wow, I can't believe... We are, this is a movie, this is fiction, but literally this is how our world kind of is and or could be if this scenario happened. And like, there is that angerness to mm-hmm. it as well, I would say. This is not sounding like a very tasty dish. Well, I have, <laughs> it also, now tying it in, it is, we said also it has a lot of like religious um, aspects to it. Mm-hmm. Now, this is kind of a pull. This is out of left field. I pointed to the right when I said that, but <laughs> left field. But 
So during Christmas in my house, I have a, I have a Polish background. So my mom would always make this soup called borscht. Have you ever had borscht before? I think so. I don't really remember what it's like. So it's a beet soup. Okay. Sounds yummy, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> so it's pretty much a, at least the way how my mom makes it, it is like a beef vegetable uh, soup stock mm-hmm. that is then added. You add beets, vinegar, lemon, a little bit of sugar, but I guess you know that that little bit undertone of the happy notes kind of throughout you need but the it, contrast yeah it has like that sour kind of bitterness from the the, the vinegar and the beets um but also that umami mm-hmm. from the soup base and i think it and it's also like a blood red which i feel like also kind of matches this movie a little bit because there is a lot of blood and a lot pain of pain and suffering pain and suffering yeah <laughs> i thought that it kind of matches it pretty well and it's also christmasy theme because i eat it for christmas so i don't know if <laughs> that works but l- let me hear i kind of spoke through that entire thing let yeah me hear i mean i was having uh quite a lot of difficulties figuring out something because mm-hmm. the flavors don't sound very appetizing is kind of the, the problem for me I was trying to find some way of, like, what is a food that has these flavors that is still appetizing like the film is for me? And here's the thing is, I mean, I'm not sure if I'm selling this to you, but for me, borscht is always like a dish that I really love to go back to. And I mean, of course, I drink it every single year. And that sounds like you've watched this film every single year. Probably. So I think it requires a well-balanced amount of ingredients because if you go too sour it becomes not as good mm-hmm. you add too much sugar it's it's not really that good it, it the balance of these different flavors just perfectly is what makes borscht really good and i think this movie like also it. could have been terrible if it kind of leaned too much into one of the emotions but i think it perfectly balances all these different emotions these different flavors to where it could be a movie that you can go back to again and again to rewatch. and because it has all these competing flavors there's so much depth to it too i think mm-hmm. which makes it feel more and more like this dish you're describing and i think also borscht at least and how i grew up eating it kind of feels almost similar to the movie itself in terms of how it like uh was received which is like it's not seen to be like a super crazy film i get or mm-hmm. a crazy dish but it, there's also a lot of stuff going on to it at least my mom would start making it like a day before because it would take a long time to cook down these uh, like beef bones and beef and these different veggies and to get the soup base just right before then adding everything together and like balancing it all out same thing with this film i feel like didn't make the film really successful in terms of box office success or awards but year after year people not only yourself watch this film and to this point where now it's considered be one of like the top 100 most most influential films of all time almost that's kind of my pitch to you is 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 borscht i mean i can't think of anything better great and it's also, uh, I mean, it's like a Eastern European uh, dish, mm-hmm. which, uh, you know, kind of plays off that, like, refugee thing as well. 
A little bit, yeah, for sure. I think it's like refugee borscht. Refugee borscht. <laughs> okay, mm, I like it. Delicious. <laughs> With a side of xenophobia. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. How does how does this look like in terms of your your interpretation of this film? I like it actually. Okay. Because I, I I wouldn't have thought of it, and I think it is it's a dish that requires such skill to make. It sounds like, which is exactly how I feel about this film. To make it right. Yeah. I think there's definitely a way to make this dish easier, but it would not be as tasty as at least I know how to make it or how I've grown up eating it. So I think in that way, this film could have been a lot worse if it wasn't, it didn't have that care and love throughout the filmmaking process to make it such a great film. The beats of men. The borscht of men. The borscht of men. Good God. All right. Sounds like that's a wrap on this this item, this movie, this dish. Love it. Again, um, we have borscht for the children of men. The children of the, men. The borscht of men. The borscht of men is the, the dish, and uh, that's that will be it for this episode. Chase, uh, thank you for being a co-host and a guest for this episode um, and bringing this movie to us. So I hope everyone at home enjoyed, and... We'll see you on the next episode of Filmmaker's Cookbook. Bye-bye. Bye.